How many of you got swan? You come for you come to a swan, you know. A, I understand it's a Hokkien word. I have no idea. Gonna trick. You come to a dumber class and I'm gonna teach you Pali. Today they asked me to take a sutta. First, do you know what's a sutta? Yeah. Do you know why it's called a sutta? Okay. The word sutta actually means that that listen that you listen. Shrew. It came from the root shrew, which is to listen. In the time of the Buddha, there were no pen and paper. The, the words were not written down. And therefore, to learn from the Buddha requires that you listen to what he had to say. And subsequently, when his teachings were passed on by the generations, they were all memorized. So you need to listen, remember, and then regurgitate. You understand that? Which is the reason why, if you go sutta, sutta to sutta, you notice that there's quite a bit of repetition. Yes? For those of you who had read sutta, for those of you who had read more than one sutta and had noticed some repetition, there's a lot of repetition. And the reason for the repetition is so that it's easier for people to remember. You don't have to remember so many things. Imagine if you try to be creative and you start introducing all kinds of thesaurus words for the same meaning, people will be very tired having to memorize your new way of talking every time they come across a sutta but say the same thing. So therefore, a lot of repetition. But, nevertheless, these suttas, some of them, not all, some of them are worth examining them very closely. Simply because when the Buddha talked, he was extremely thrifty with his words. Every single word that he used had a place in the sutta. They were not there for him to show off his command of the Pali language. You understand? Every single word carries a meaning and a reason for being. There's a reason why he put it there. So some sutta, where he tried to explain the practice, and he tried to explain what you will encounter in the practice, it's worth looking at those sutta very closely. Indeed, it's worth looking at them in the original Pali language. Because I, I was saying earlier, um, I did a bit of research before I came here. I did a bit of research for today's talk. And I noticed that in some of the translation, they were actually a little bit off. So it's worth learning, attending my class in Mangala Vihara and learning, <laughs> and learning Pali language so that, it is, so that you don't depend on other people's translation. You can look at your own and you can do it by yourself. Okay, now, what I'm going to do today, Dhammachaka, actually, the full, the full uh, sutta is Dhamma Chakka Pawatana Sutta. Dhamma, you know, it's the doctrine. Chakka is a will. Pawatana. So therefore, turning of the will of the doctrine. Basically, what it means is I kickstart the mission. This is the sutta in the Theravadian tradition. This is the sutta that unleash a teaching, his first teaching, his first lesson, public lesson. And this is where it all began. So at the very least, you can Wikipedia it. No, not Wikipedia, you can Google it and you will have the text. For those of you who have your iPad or whatever, you can always take it out. Now, what I'm going to do today is to do it in two parts. Part one, I will take you through the sutta in English. 
and I will introduce some of the Pali words to try and explain the meaning a, bit, a little bit better. So that's part one. Part two, there are some parts, there are some aspects of the teaching that were not in the sutta that are linked to the sutta. And I think to make the picture a little bit more complete for you, I will do that at, on the addendum, if you like. Okay? Um, first, a little bit of introduction about the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. In every sutta, you will notice there is always one first para where it is set the context of the Buddha's teaching the sutta. You notice that? You know, it always starts with Ewa Me Suttam, right? Thus have I heard. The reason why it starts with Ewa Me Suttam is because every sutta you read is a second-hand account, not first-hand. I heard it from someone else. That's what it means. And the person who recited, who is said, according to the tradition, who is said to have recited the first, the, the, repeated the story, was Ananda. Okay? And then the context. Why is the context important for a scholar? Scholar lah. <laughs> for a scholar, the context will tell us when in the Buddha's lifetime did he teach this particular sutta. One. Two, for the practitioners, it tells you who he taught it to. Now, why is that important? Let me ask you, uh, how many of you did math in school? Only three of you? <laughs> I assume all of you did, right? For those of you who don't remember, it's the one with the number, you know? <laughs> okay, now, let me ask you. Suppose you walk into a class of primary one, and you're going to teach math, right? Are you going to teach them algebra? Uh, that's the one with the alphabet and numbers. <laughs> no, right? But if you are going to go into a class of A-level students, are you going to teach plus and minus? You will peg it to the standard. That's why you need to know the audience. When you read the sutta, in, the first con in that first para, it will tell you the brain quality, the experience of the group. And they will tell you where he taught it. Why is the where important to, you, to us? It makes no difference. Ang Mokyo Topayo, what's the difference? Right? It makes no difference to us. But in India, if you're familiar with Indian history, you will know the difference. Because some places are very staunchly anti-Buddhism or anti-ascetism, anti-anything that is not Brahmanism. So in their mind, there's a certain prejudice. Some other areas have don't, don't have that problem. In fact, they embrace anything that's anti-Brahmanism. You understand? Okay, you may not understand the context, but it doesn't matter. What it means is it tells you of the certain local prejudices for a scholar. It's interesting. Okay, now about Dharma Chakra. Have you all read it before? No? Yes? Okay. Do you know who he preached it to? A lot of the five, the five disciples. Okay. He preached it to a group of fellow practitioners. They may not be as skilled as the Buddha, but they are not. They were not lay people. They were yogis. They left home like the Buddha six years ago. So for six years, they had been practicing. Because they are not as skilled as the Buddha, they never got the, the solution on their own. But these were committed passionate, experienced meditators. What does it mean? It means the Buddha need not elaborate too much. You understand? 
If he, if this thing had said, Buddha was talking to a bunch of 500 lay disciples who have no experience in practice, then you will find this lang probably triple. Because he then had to explain a lot more things. He can't just use one line and then presume that you understand. Okay? Hence, this thing is so short. Second point to make is that because he was preaching to a bunch of practitioners, this sutta is not for lay people, per se. The story, the context of the story, is about a practice. Why do I have to say this? Because there's some parts of it, subsequently, when people try to explain the sutta, they explain it in, in as suitable, as relevant to lay life. The start point is wrong. This is relevant to practitioner. Start point. Subsequently, I'll explain why it's relevant to us. The start point is wrong. Okay, let's go straight into the sutta. And I will read you the sutta since you don't have a copy of it, right? I'll read you in English. On one occasion, the Bhagawa was staying in Varanasi, in the deer grove at Isipatana. There, he addressed a group of five bhikkhus. Okay. Five bhikkhus. Isipatana, a place. The meaning of that word is sage, steps where the sage walks, lands, lands, okay? So what it means is, this is a park where practitioners congregate. So these five chaps, after they left the Buddha, first, do you know they left the Buddha? Yeah, a very short story, very, very quickly. When the Buddha left his, his home, to become uh, an ascetic. You don't call the Buddha a monk because at that point there's no Sangha. So he became an ascetic, okay? And amongst other things, he met these five chaps. Actually, these five chaps were waiting for him. One of them predicted that he was going to be a monk. I mean, he's going to start, a, he's going to be a teacher of a new school and he's going to be a glorious school. So this guy was waiting for the Buddha to leave his house. And the other four were his friends. And then they all came after the Buddha. The moment he left, they went after him. They were basically waiting for him to, for that eureka moment. Okay, so they all just kind of hang around waiting for his eureka moment. And if you're unfamiliar with, with the Buddha's experience, I tell you it's hell. That six years where he was trying to discern that eureka moment, it was hell. He started off, he started off following other schools didn't work then he went on to do what any other self-respectable yogi would do they starve themselves indian yogis all like that they starve themselves starve, starve. don't sleep don't sleep don't clean don't wash don't bathe for years grow your hair over the place he did he did all of the above he did exactly what the community required him to do Starve, don't drink. He starved himself to a point where he almost died because he reduced his intake to one grain a day. How many of you take one? Probably at least two, right? <laughs> yeah, so he, he starved himself terribly. Now these five, while the Buddha was abusing his body, they were egging him on. Yes, yes. Oh, down to one. Good, good. So they were egging him on. And then he stopped. It's not working. I'm down to one grain. I'm dying. And I still am no closer to any Eureka moment. So then he took his first meal, meaning he took a lump of rice or whatever, a lump of something. And the five of them went, Huh? Alamak! Backslider! And they left him. So when he was dying, they were all there, you know. Jiayo, jiayo. <laughs> then when he gave up and said, No, this is wrong. This is all wrong. They went, Ayo. And they left. They were so disappointed. Now, when the Buddha was enlightened, when he got enlightened, he then 
in his mind, he asked himself, where can he find people who can understand the doctrine? The doctrine, the Dhamma, is difficult to understand. You don't believe me? You ask yourself. You've been reading, you've been attending talks, you've been meditating, you've been reflecting, you're such a good practitioner and... Huh? How? <laughs> tough, right? So it's a tough Dhamma to understand. It's a bit too sublime, it's difficult to get it. So he then had to think of, okay, now I'm going to start teaching. You go after people who can understand, right? So he scanned and then he found these five. Okay, let's go after them. So he went to look for them. He went. Because these were the fellow who were with him at a very difficult period. And they were very sincere, they were dedicated practitioners. So when he first arrived at the park looking for his five friends, they were actually not too impressed. Oh, here comes the backslider. <laughs> jerk, jerk, you know. They were, they were not impressed. But they found, they have decided amongst themselves, we are not going to pay our respect. We're not going to wash his feet. We're not going to get him water. These are what the things you do for your teacher. Wash their feet, get him water, make a seat for him, you know. They said we're not going to do any of the above. But when they took one look at him, they knew something was different. And then they did the necessary, all the, all the things that are required of a student. They clean his seat for him, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So he sat down. Why am I telling you all these side, side stories? Because I'm going to explain to you why there is this para. Right after we talk about the context, right? Vanarasi, Isipatana, he met the five guys. And then the next stanza goes into this. These two extremes, Bhikkhu, should not be adopted by one who has gone forth from the home life. Which two? In Pali, due ante. Two ends. Two extremes. Due ante. Which two? On the one hand, the devotion to hedonism towards karma. In Pali, it reads Kama Sukha Likanu Yogo. Kama Sukha, Kama, sense basis. Sukha, love the sense basis. Okay? That you adopt a practice that takes you to enjoy your sense basis. One extreme. Kamasuka Nikalu Yogo. Okay? The second one, sorry, uh, let me read in English first. On the one hand, the devotion to hedonism towards Kama, which is Hina, inferior, vulgar, just in English, vulgar, common, ignoble, deprived of benefit. Five things. It is low, inferior, hina, low. Vulgar, common, ignoble, deprived of benefit. The other, on the other hand, the devotion to self mortification in Pali, Atakila Matanu Yogo. Self-mortification, which is, and this time he gave only three adjectives. Dukkha, anariya, ignoble, deprived of benefit. From this alone, it is very obvious that the Buddha looked down on people, on the practice that tells you it is okay to indulge. Because he gave it five adjectives. He calls it low. He calls it common, vulgar. Whereas he has some sympathy for the ones who punish their own body. Self-mortification. Essentially, you yourself causing damage, pain to your own body. He gave it only three adjectives. He merely said, it is dukkha. It is anario, not noble. 
meaning to say it wouldn't rise you to spiritual realization. So it won't work. And three, deprive of benefit. It doesn't work. It wouldn't make you better. So when we talk about Dhamma Chakra and the two extremes which you might have heard of, he was actually talking about practice. He was referring to practitioners in the old days, they end up in two types of practices. Either you whack, just enjoy. The naked ascetics, they are like that. There are these ascetics, okay? And then there's the other group that says, deprive yourself of everything. No clothes, no eating, drink sparingly. If you can do it, don't sleep. I kid you not, they sleep standing. It's the, the more pain you generate for your body, the better practice you are. And he's telling them, remember these guys left him because he gave up? He's telling them these two methods don't work. And then he went on to say, without going to these two extremes, because the Tathagata has fully awakened to the Majjhima Patipadda, the middle path, which produces, now this is the adjective you want, which produces vision, chakku karani, produce vision, Nyana karani, which produces jnana, jnana is knowledge, and leads to upasamaya, Abhinyaya, appeasement to Abhinya, to superior knowledge, to Nibbanaya, <coughs> to, to, to Nibbana, to enlightenment. These are the adjectives he used. What did he use? He said vision, knowledge, appeasement, Superior knowledge. Abhinya actually means magic powers, if you like. That's one translation. But it can also mean more sublime knowledge, okay? Some, somebody, enlightenment, nibbana, ultimate realization. Why so many adjectives? Because essentially what he's saying is, the middle path, you practice it correctly, these are the sort of experiences you will have. You will have vision. Vision implies you have to see something. You have to see it to understand it. Not just seeing, you have to understand. Nyana means you have to understand. Ambinya, understand. So the knowledge associated with realization comes with other knowledges or knowledge. No, no plural, sorry. It leads to peace. It leads to a sense of joy, deep, unconditioned joy. So he, in the first stanza, in the, essentially the first stanza, as he opens his mouth to talk, he said, guys, two methods you know don't work. This method does. You follow this method, this is the results. Singapore English. <laughs> okay? Next stanza. Katamajasa. Big cafe. And what? Bikus. Majitma Patipadda. What is this middle path? See, up to this point, he hasn't said what is the middle path, right? He just said two methods doesn't work, this one works, and this one will give you this result. That's what they want to hear. It works. This is the result. Okay, this is what they want to hear. Now he said, what's this method? And he gave a summary. This is all he said. This Produces vision, 
wisdom leads to appeasement, da 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 da. It is because this noble eightfold path, the method, the mat, the pat, the majitma patit, but the middle path is this noble eightfold path. Okay. I lost my line. Arya atangika magga. Arya noble atangika eightfold magga path. Okay. Um, that is to say, and then he explains what this eightfold path is. Samaditi, samasankapa, samawacha, samakamanta, samajitva, samaweyama, samasati, samasamadi. This bhikkhu is the majitma patipadda to which the tathagata has awakened, which produces vision, jnana, leads to appeasement, abhinya, to samudhi, to nibbana. That's what he said. He didn't elaborate on the Eightfold Path. He merely said, there is this middle path. With this middle path, it will produce all these results. And what are these middle paths? It has got eight parts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In a language you can understand. So now my turn to say it in English. Samaditi. Right? Note the word. Nah. He always puts the word samma. Samma. Right. Correct. Ditti. Understanding. Understanding. Okay? Why is this samaditi important? I will explain it later. I got half an hour more. <laughs> I have no idea how I'm going to finish this in half an hour. <laughs> samaditi, you just write down. Right, right understanding. Samasankapa, right thoughts. Samawacha, right words. Samakamanta, right action. Samajitva, right livelihood. Samawayama, right effort. And then samasati, mindfulness, samadhi, concentration. Okay? All these eight parts, if you are a follower of the Buddha, you need to memorize in English. Okay, then he went on to say, furthermore, Bhikkhu, this is, this is the Dukkha. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. I, see, like, I'm so excited at loose barrel. Then, he, after he talked about the Eightfold Path, he said, Furthermore, Bhikkhu, this is the Dukkha Aryasacha. Note nah, the word he says. This is the Dukkha Aryasacha. Now, in English, it says, This is the noble truth of Dukkha. That's all he said. Okay, after he said the Majipma Patipadda, the, the Eightfold Path, he went on to say, This is. The Dukkha Arya Satcha. And they are Jati, Jara. Jati is birth. Jara is aging. Marana is Dukkha. Marana is death. So all he said, Jati, Jara, Marana. That's all he said. There isn't sickness. Okay? In the original, when he taught the group, he, he mentioned Jati Jaran Marana. Jati's birth, Jara's aging, Marana's death. These are the processes of life, the nature of life. And then he went on. Apiyehi sampayogaduko. Apiyehi, someone you don't love. Sampayogo, someone you don't love. But you associate, you have to be close to him. It's Dukkha. Surely. Piehi vipayogo Dukkha. Piehi, someone you love. Someone you love, vipayogo, you're not with him. Dukkha. Huh? See, agree. Yamichang na labati tampi tukang. Basically, what? Okay. Forget about the Pali. English, what is said is association with what is dislike, dukkha. Disassociation with what is like, dukkha. Not to get what you want is dukkha. In short, the five aggregates of 
craving is dukkha. Why am I harping on this point? Because what the Buddha say here is there are two sets of things. The life processes is dukkha. Your emotional response to the world, dukkha. Your emotional response. You get, you are with someone you don't like, you are not with someone you like, what you can't get, dukkha. Everything has to do with craving. His words were, five upadana kanda. He didn't say, you, five aggregates craving. Uh, sorry, dukkha. He said, upadana kanda. Upadana, craving. So, if you crave, that's the condition for dukkha. Okay? He didn't say by virtue of the fact that you are alive, that you are here, you are dukkha. He didn't say that. He said, upadana kanda. Okay? Then, the next, the next stanza, he said, furthermore, Bhikkhu, this is the Dukkha Samudaya Arya Satcha. This is the Dukkha Samudaya Arya Satcha, which is the second noble truth. The first one he just mentioned, right? Now he mentions the second one. Dukkha Samudaya, the arising. Aryas, this is the noble truth on the arising of Dukkha. So like a doctor, he says, this is your condition. This is the reason for the condition. This is Dukkha. Second one, he says, this is the reason for the rise of Dukkha. You notice I didn't spend any time talking about Dukkha. That's a story for another day. Okay, so what are the conditions? This Tangha leading to rebirth, connected with desire and enjoyment, finding delight here or there. That is to say, Kama Tangha, Bawa Tangha, Vibawa Tangha. So here, he explains the little delight that you find flirting from here to there to here to there. This little delight that comes out. And he elaborated, this delight comes in the three form. Kamatangha. What is Kamatangha? You see, we are lay people, we may not, and we are not even Pali speakers. So Kamatangha just is a word. To these guys, Kamatangha means any experiences associated with your sense organs. Any experiences associated with your sense organs. So the eyes, you see something nice. You like, you want. You hear something nice, you like, and you want. You smell something nice, and so on and so forth. You smell, you eat, you taste. The touch, and if you're really creative, your thoughts. But generally, it's just that five organs, good enough. It's enough to give you headache. <laughs> okay? So that's kamatangha. Vibawa tangha, translated as rebirth, birth, life, bawa, Vibhava. Bhava means wanting to be alive. Vibhava don't want to be alive. So some, some have translated it as the desire for life and the desire for death. I would say that maybe it's a little bit more. I'm offering that it may be a little bit more. It's reliving something and trying to forget something. Bower is again and again, you see, that's what it means. Vibhava is to stop again, stop it. So if you got scolded yesterday, you don't want to think about it. You try not to think about it. Then you think about it. And again, and again, okay? And then he went on to say, furthermore, Bhikkhu, this is the Dukkha Nirodha Arya Satcha. This is the noble truth of the cessation of dukkha. Again, there are adjectives, and you look at the adjective. 
he used the word viraga nirodha. I better find the Pali word. I say so viraga nirodha chago, pasin nisago muti analayo. Viraga, it's desire, wanting the complete cessation of that desire. Complete no more wanting. Complete no more. It's easing. Niroda finish. It extinguished. Abandoned. Forsaken. Freedom. Emancipation. Freedom from the very tangha. How many adjectives did he use just to explain the word niroda? It's to give us the sense that it ceased, it extinguished. Because it ceased and it extinguished, there is a sense of freedom, a breath of fresh air, if you like. From that very tangha, meaning to say, Remember the second one says you have all this craving, this wanting, this wanting. The third one merely says it is possible for this wanting to be completely gone. Completely. Okay? And then comes furthermore, Bhikkhu, this is the Dukkha Nirodha Gamini Patipadda Arya Satcha. This is the Arya Atanga Magga. This is the path leading to the cessation of Dukkha. That's all it says. This is the path leading to the noble truth of the path leading to the cessation of Dukkha. And this noble truth is the Eightfold Path. That's what he said. Up until this point, you understand? Easy to understand. Then comes this really interesting portion, which if you had not read the sutta, you wouldn't even have noticed that they existed. But in my mind, as a practitioner, this portion is very significant and tells you something about the practice. I will read it one true, once true, okay? You try to catch. This is the Dukkha Arya Satcha, so the first noble truth. In me, Biko in regard to things unheard before, the I arose. I, E-Y-E, arose. The Jnana arose. The Panya arose. Sorry, the Jnana, the, the knowledge. The Panya, the wisdom. The Vidya arose. Vidya, Vidya is scientific knowledge. It's knowledge based on evidence. Okay. The light arose. Now. This Dukkha Arya Satcha is to be completely known. In regard to things unheard before, the eye arose, the Jnana arose, the Panya arose, the Vidya arose, the light arose. Now, this Dukkha Arya Satcha has been completely known in me. Because in regard to things unheard before, the eye arose and so on and so forth. In case you didn't catch, there are actually three parts. There is this truth. This truth has to be understood. Has to be known. The translation for this particular translation is known. The Pali word is parineya. Parineya means you have to understand completely. Should be. Neya means should be. Basically what he's saying is there is this truth, referring to the first noble truth. This truth has to be understood completely. This truth has been understood completely. There are three parts. Okay, then comes the second, second one, the Dukkha Samudaya Arya Satcha, and he said this, okay. This Dukkha Arya Satcha, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to explain to you what he said. For the second one, he said, 
there is this truth about the arising of Dukkha. This truth has to be abandoned. Abandoned. This truth has been abandoned. The word he used, which I can't find. Oh, no, wrong, wrong stanza, no wonder. The word he used, no, there are many Pali words. Pahatabha. Pahatabha means cut and throw. Throw away. Strong word. Pahatabha. To be abandoned, to be cut and thrown away. Okay? The third one, what is it? Nirodha, right? The noble truth of the cessation of dukkha. That's the third one. And the word he used, Sachikatabha. Sachikatabha means to realize. So the same thing. There is this truth. It has to be realized. It has been realized. Got it? So the first one has to be understood. The first noble truth has to be understood. The second noble truth has to be abandoned. The third noble truth has to be realized. The fourth noble truth has to be practiced, has to be developed. The word he used was developed. I'm trying to find the translation and I can't find it. Like a rose. Develop, yes. The word has... Basically, what it means, if you're a practitioner, these four noble truths have to be experienced in different ways. The first one tells you that Life experiences, your physical experiences, right? The nature of life, emotional, physical, have conditions for dukkha. You have to understand that. That's what it means. The first noble truth has to be understood. You have to understand what it means by jati jara maranang dukkha. When you're with someone you love, uh, when you're without someone you love, or when you're with someone you don't love, dukkha. When you want things, you don't get them, dukkha. That has to be understood. I know some of you will be going, what? Rocket science. Uh? I understand what? This kind of thing I understand. Okay, law. Good. Continue to understand. Then the second one says, and it is true, for us, all of us here, that you are here, it means you understood this part. You may not understand it deep enough, as into the core, core of your spinal cord, but you understand it. You know that when you crave for something, it's dukkha, right? If you can let it go, it feels better. You know that. You don't know it theoretically, you know it in the core of your spinal cord. Why do you keep going spinal cord? Because that's right in the middle. Ma. Or the marrow, the core of your marrow. Okay? Then the second one. That one, he said, has to be abandoned. It is not understanding. To understand that craving gives you, craving is what is the condition for dukkha. That's not good enough. Understanding is not that. You have to let it go. Craving in any form has to be pahatabha, should be abandoned, should be cut off. And then he says, you will taste. If you can let it go, you will taste. You will experience peace, joy, unconditioned joy. That is why he used the word sachikatabha should be realized. It has to be tasted. You don't taste the relief that comes with your letting it go. You cannot understand, appreciate 
the Dhamma fully. Agree? All you have would be theoretical concept. If you cannot let go and taste the relief that comes with being able to let go, Satchikatabha, then you can't experience it. You can't, you can't say based on my empirical data. You based on Buddha's empirical data in someone else. And then the last one, the Eightfold Path, has to be walk, develop, has, has to be cultivated. And without the cultivating of the Eightfold Path and make it a part of the life, of your life, it's going to be very difficult. In fact, it's not possible because all throughout he made the point. Majima, Patipadda, middle path, only way, what is the middle path? Eightfold path. That's why I said in this sutta. And then the rest of the sutta, you don't have to bother. Because the rest of the sutta, all the heavens rejoice. And they give you the names of, this is where, this is where there is mention of all the heavenly gods. You know how they love it, right? So many of them. Many, many names, you can ignore them. Sorry. But it's not important. What you need to do is to get it down to this point. Now, the part that is missing here, because he was preaching to practitioners, the part that's missing is an elaboration of the substance of the Eightfold Path. When he talks about Samaditi, right understanding, the right understanding is not just about knowledge of Four Noble Truth. It is intuitive knowledge of the Four Noble Truth. What is intuitive as opposed to just knowledge? It means that in your mind, you accept, you think it makes a lot of sense, you accept in your heart that if you have a lot of craving, you will have deep sense of dukkha. It's a proportionate relation. The more you desire, the more dukkha you experience. If you accept that and you think it makes a world of sense because you see how it works in your life, it is just like that as the Buddha described it, you have samaditi. Start point. Start point, ah, sorry. This is just beginning only. You stand at the right you basically stand at the right MRT station. <laughs> if you don't have even this perspective, then you're waiting for the wrong bus. Okay? Now, then the Summer Sankapa, right, thought. Remember what, you know, your first one says, the first one says, if you understand you have a lot of craving, you surely got a lot of dukkha, right? You know that one, huh? So what's the first logical thing that you would do? The first logical thing is don't have so many craving law. Right? Hello? <laughs> For those of you still awake. <laughs> right, right, right? Okay. So, therefore, what Sankapa actually means a kind of construction. Okay? So we call it thoughts. It's actually coming together. So thoughts, right thoughts. So the first of the right thoughts is let go. Nekama, big word, translated, renunciation. But actually what it means is, let go. Don't hold on too hard. Let it be. Nekama. Now what's the second one? You know, when you crave for something and you don't get it, what happened to you? Uh, pretend, pretend you like that, lah, huh? you craving very hard for something and then you, you, you go get it and it's not there. How do you feel? You don't know, you never experienced it before. <laughs> How do you feel? You want something, you want it so badly. You want the iPad, you want the iPhone uh, what, uh, 5, right? iPhone 5. <laughs> then you go there, huh, so out. You mean I come at 5 o'clock also so out? Because you got early order, ma. Okay, how do you feel? Sad. What else? Disappointed. You're so nice. What else? Angry. 
Because especially because the the the, the girl told you, if five o'clock come, she'll have one. If five o'clock you run down, somewhere you live in Sengkang very far, you know. <laughs> so by the time you got there, no more. How you feel? Bank table, bank chair already, right? Huh? Okay. So you feel angry. Therefore, a right thought is not to get angry. Not to get angry. So if you have the right perspective, basically what the Buddha is saying, if you have the right understanding, huh? remember the right understanding about the connection between dukkha and craving, right? Degree. If you have that understanding, then naturally, in, you will want to have this instinct, the thoughts that come out should be, don't hold on so much, let it go, don't get upset so easily. If you can let it go, you won't get so upset. It's like that. You get upset only because you couldn't let it go. And once you can let it go, you don't get so upset. Five o'clock, five o'clock, okay, tomorrow I come again or six o'clock. <laughs> See, very philosophical, you know. And what happens when you get upset? You become cruel. How many of you, you don't have to tell me, I know you're too shy, either that or frozen shoulder all around, how many of you can recall that when you were cruel at that one time, it's because you were upset? Uh -huh. How many of you were cruel but you're not upset? You're just cruel. <laughs> Unlikely, right? The odds are you are cruel only because you were very upset, right? You say the nastiest thing just to hurt because you're so upset. You have no control over your tongue, right? Okay, uh, for those of you who were cruel but you were not upset, you have a problem. <laughs> you know who you are? Do something about the problem. Okay, so the three right thoughts were let go, don't get angry, don't get cruel. That's all. And then comes a whole panel that deals with restraining behavior. Don't kill, don't steal. The, the precepts that you recounted this morning. And then, so that's kamanta. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit sexual misconduct. And then comes a whole package of words. Because we do a lot of nasty things through our mouth. We say the nastiest thing, we gossip, we slander, we scold, we talk nonsense. Right? By the way, Buddha very strict. Talk about the weather also nonsense. <laughs> it's called Sampapalapa. Okay? So, you have all this package of basically restraining the words that comes out, restraining your action. And then in your livelihood, do not take advantage of any other being. I'm, I'm widening it because the original merely says, do not engage in trade of, on the following, five of them only. Liquor, poison, weapon, human, flesh. Look, how many of us do these things, right? Not many. But some of us buy A, P, A, B. No, that, that, that brewery share. That one. Uh, so some of us buy that kind of share. Hello, it's liquor, right? So you make money from dividend and why not share exchanges? Um, you, don't, you don't make weapons, but you buy ST Engineering. Same. <laughs> Somebody from ST Engineering here? Sorry. No, my point is, in the Buddha's time, society was a lot less complex. It's very, very not complex, right? It's very simple. If you are the guy who made the, the, the arrowhead, you sold the arrowhead. Today, I'm middleman. I buy from you, I sell to you. And then, I got shareholders who don't even know that they are selling arrows all over the place. You understand that? So the society today is extremely complex. And for all you know, actually you know, you just don't want to know. So you may know that you are engaging indirectly in something that broke the precepts. But you don't know what, you don't really care, you know what I mean? So that can happen, it doesn't matter. What the Buddha is saying is, do not engage in any activities that bring pain, tears, suffering to another. That's all. Then comes the last portion that deals with meditation. All 
all three deals with meditation. Okay. Samavayama, right effort. Samasati, right mindfulness. Samasamadhi, right concentration. You know what is concentration, you know what is sati, right? I'll just explain right effort. Right effort, why do we call it vayama? Effort. Because, and, and you may think that it's actually morality, it's not. If you are very well practiced, your mind is so sharp, your concentration is so sharp, you are able to know what is the content in your mind. So sharp, at any one time, you look into your mind, you know what's there. And sometimes you are so sharp that even as it arises, you spotted it. Most time, you're not so sharp. By the time you realize it, it's in full bloom. Okay, example. Anger, right? Thought arises. Why he say that about me? Okay, thought arises. Most time, you didn't even spot it. By the time you realize it, you're already in chapter 3. Chapter 3 of this whining about why he said that about you. Now, in Wayama, this is what you're supposed to do. Negative thought, as it arises, shut it down. Pull the plug as it arises. If you don't even realize it's there and it's blooming there, and by the time you realize it, it's in full bloom, you throw it out. Purge it, flush it down the toilet bowl. Really, just shut it down, throw it out. Negative, akusala thoughts. Thoughts. The kusala ones, the, pos the, 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 the skillful ones, the ones that deals with giving, sharing, being kind, doing favors for nothing. I know a lot of you do favors for something, do for nothing. That kind. If it is not there, bring it up. If it is there, proliferate. So this is about the practice. It's about keeping your mind pure. Keeping the mind pure for the meditation. Okay? This is the part that was not covered in Dhammachakapavatana Sutta. For those of you who are really enthusiastic about Pali, I'll give you the website. No, no, it is a website where the, the suttas are side by side in English and in Pali. Uh, it's buddhavachana.org Buddha B-U-D-D-H-A dash vachana V-A-C-A-N-A vachana words okay dot org organization O-R-G In this they did they have done quite a bit of translation for many suttas and they they divide it into different categories. So your Digga Nikaya, Majjhima Nikaya, and so on and so forth. And then they have it like this, in two parts. So you can, you can compare the text and know what, what sort of know, which Pali word goes where. Okay? Any question? Shall we say Sadhu? Three times to our sister B. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Oh, today's topic seems like very chim. Huh? <laughs> but not to worry, you people won't be tested. <laughs> so can we have one or two questions before we... Uh... Thank you, Sister Joy. Sister Sylvia, you introduced quite a lot of topics. I get a little bit confused. Can you summarize in, in you know, what is the gist of this... <laughs> <laughs> Four noble truth and the eightfold path. Sorry, cannot be compressed, Alison. <laughs> no, you see, this what this this sutta is about the Four noble truth and the eightfold path. It was first unveiled by the Buddha, and as it was unveiled, it, it was actually without elaboration. So every single dhamma top talk about this topic with the elaboration comes later. But when it first came out, it was just like that. But for some strange reason, a lot of people get very fascinated with Dhammachakapavata Sutta. Maybe it's the length of the words. You know? <laughs> so they get very excited. Let's talk about Dhammachaka. Let's talk about Dhammachaka. Okay, sure. <laughs>
Okay, can we have one more last question? Hello, Sister Bay. Thanks a lot for your <coughs> very detailed exposition. Now, uh, I think what I what what I what caught my ear just now was that uh, you, this, you you allude to the fact there's a qualitative difference between understanding, like let's say for example, craving leads to suffering, right? The understanding of it, right? Just reading through the, acad the the academic understanding, as opposed to what you maybe alluded to as experience. The is it through insight of uh, practice or through actual life experience that you that that we would get this real, you know, the 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 uh, the, the understanding of Knowledge the words. Yes, yeah. I think Ajahn Brahm has mentioned that before. That you know, the experience versus just academic experience. Okay, um, the first noble truth, the one that says the more craving that you have, the more dukkha you are going to experience, the more occasions of dukkha, the more intense dukkha you're going to experience. For many of us, you experience it. You know, you know what is dukkha. Yes, it is not, it's not suffering. Dukkha, I've always had this problem with this translation. The word dukkha has always been translated as suffering, but it's not. Dukkha doesn't equal the word suffering. Dukkha merely means unpleasant experiences. Duk, du, is difficult. Ka, karati, karuti. To, to, to hold, to carry, to do. So, what it means is any experience that to you is not shook. I haven't used this word for a long time. <laughs> My tak shook, tak shook philosophy. I haven't used this in a long time. It shows you how long I've, since I've given this talk. As long as you don't feel good, you don't feel shook, that is dukkha. Would you say you are suffering if you lost the tug of war for the remote control? I won, you won, I won, you won, you win. Suffering. <laughs> you don't, right? You merely say, mm, ah, ah, right? It should be ha ha. Don't after they go and bong a fellow the head. <laughs> so, the experience of dukkha you all have. In fact, just this morning you. In fact, now you have. When is this talk going to end? Huh? <laughs> Hungry le. My bum pain le. My leg also pain le. You see that? Dukkha riasacha. Noble truth of dukkha, right? So you experience it. And then, and then, and then, you will also experience, you will also experience, when you let it go, the sense of dukkha drops. The point where you tuck of war, remember? Huh? I want, you want, you want, you want, I want. Then after that, yeah, you take la, suda la. <laughs> the part you walk off, you turn your back on the remote control and whoever was winning. The part, it's over, right? Where you harbour the grudge against the fella for manage to... Take the remote control. Tomorrow, you still remember he took your remote control yesterday. <laughs> no, right? You let it go. Let it go. So, relief. You see that? Now the question is, do you see the connection between the intensity of your wanting and the intensity of the dukkha? Some of you would. Some of you conceptually think, yeah, make a lot of sense, but didn't see the connect. Didn't see the connect. To answer your question directly, when you don't see the connect, that is when you only have a conceptual understanding of the first noble truth. If you see the connect, because you can see it happening in your life, 
the more intensely you want something, the more you feel dukkha. You see the connect? It's when you understood intrinsically, instinctively. It becomes experience. Then, whether or not you have wisdom, you see, the Buddha talks about sight, right? Jaku, Nyana, Nyana, Panya. They are different words, you know. But you see the connection. First, you see it, then you understood it, and then you practice it. See it is when you see the connection. You really, really want something, it really, really hurts. You see that connection, it's only seeing. You understood the connection. Oh, yeah, man, the Buddha, right? Understood the connection. Nyana, that's wisdom, that's knowledge. Saw it, understood it. Okay? What's wisdom? Next time now, don't want so much, law. Most of us have no wisdom. I saw it, I saw it, understood, understood, but never mind, I still go and crave some more law. <laughs> Why not? One life only, I just crave lah. No wisdom. God wisdom is when you say, got it, let's pull back. Let's put on the brake on this endless quest for, for gratification. Pull all the brake, slow down. Okay, now maybe this I cannot finish, but slow down. No wisdom. Rush down. We're going to crash, we're going to crash, we're going to crash, but you're still rushing down, all the way down. No wisdom. So, you have knowledge, you have, ins you have the sight, you see the connection, you have the sight, you have the knowledge, yes, the Buddha was right. No wisdom, never practice. So you crash up, ah, boom. Rock bottom. You get it? So that's why the Buddha had different adjectives. You must have the full range of adjectives. You must tick, 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 tick. Got it. You tick, tick, then boleh. <laughs> Didn't get it. So um, maybe upon a hundred, right? Yeah? And upon a hundred, you are A student, you got all five. You are hopeless D student, you got only one. Then you never got anything, never understood anything, never saw anything. Okay, never mind. F life. Got it? Okay. I answered your question. Okay. Thank you, Sister Beth.